The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. And good afternoon everybody. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and today is June 13th of 2016. We're glad to have you on the show today and uh, today we're talking about uh, bringing recovery to campus. You know, this is an interesting time of year to be to be talking about about this topic. Uh, you know, a lot of students are now on break for summer, and um, you know, have just sort of come out of uh, you know several months of being on, on a college campus. You know, but if you're somebody who's in recovery, you know, being sober and navigating the world as a as somebody in recovery is challenging, no matter what age you are or what you're doing in life. But if you add the additional layer of difficulty of being an emerging adult, when one in six of your peers meet the criteria for a substance use disorder, you've got a lot to bear. And this is a world where a lot of young people in recovery have to navigate when they are seeking higher education in sobriety. So we are really, really excited and honored to have today with us Sierra Castedo, who is with the University of Texas in Austin Center for Students in Recovery. Sierra became Thanks so much involved for in, having... Oh, it's oh, great to have you, Sierra. And I, if, I'll just uh, tell our audience a little bit about you, um, but then you're going to tell us a lot more about you, I'm hoping. So, <laughs> um, so Sierra became involved in college recovery first as a student in need, and she now serves the center that changed her life. She's the Southwest Region Representative on the Board of the Association of Recovery in Higher Education, a peer recovery support specialist, founding member of the Recovery-Oriented Community Collaborative, founding member of Young People in Recovery Austin, graduate of SAMHSA's Project Lift, and is finishing an, uh, a master's in, Master in Arts degree at University of Texas Austin. So, Sierra, welcome aboard, and my goodness, uh, how do you have time to even get a lunch uh, with all those things going on in your life? <laughs> Uh, well, that's a great question. I, I definitely try to dovetail lunch with something else um, and, and, and be really efficient. But thanks so much for having me on today. Obviously, I'm excited to be here. I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. so <laughs> No worries. No worries. Yeah. Well, that, that's really awesome. I, um, you know, I, I was reading your bio and, you know, talking, you know, reading about the, about the topic today. And, uh, you know, what really struck me is uh, thinking about the, the variety of experiences that people bring to their decision to enter college and, uh, you know, how, you know, what kind of complexities being in recovery adds to that. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, how did you get into this, this work and what was it like for you when you first, you know, as you talked about, you became involved in this through your own experience and you know, what was it like for you? So my story is, is, Representative of probably 
roughly half of our students that participate actively in CSR. I was still in my active addiction when I ended up at UT Austin for grad school. Um, I uh, went through all of undergrad in active addiction, and I finally reached out for help and was really, really fortunate to be able to find that help right on my campus. Um, I definitely didn't know that something like that existed um, until I was faced with, you know, needing that help. Um, I I really had um, some expectations that didn't line up with reality when I when I got here uh, in the negative sense. I I did not expect um, the center to be a good fit for me at all, um, but it ended up being something that I fit into like a glove. Um, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's that's kind of how I fell into it. I fell into it by um, being somebody who needed help, um, you know, starting my, starting my recovery journey at the center. Now, the other half of our students uh, come to us as people already in established recovery who are either going back to school or continuing their education or something along those lines or maybe even starting it for the first time. So we've got kind of half and half, people starting out brand new to recovery and people in established recovery. And just like in, you know, peer support environments out uh, off campus, out in the community, um, that balance is, is something that's absolutely essential and that really makes the place work. Um, so, but yeah, so it I, sounds like there's. It's really important then that there's mm-hmm. people both, you know, who are in need of support to, you know, to stay connected to the campus that they're on, even though they're struggling. But also, mm-hmm. you know, having having that mix with people that are, you know, selecting that particular campus because of that support, and maybe they're already they're working their uh, their recovery program already. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And not every collegiate recovery program, that's, that's the collective term for programs like ours, collegiate recovery program. You may also hear the phrase collegiate recovery community. Um, those can kind of be used interchangeably, um, and, and it just depends on kind of, you know, which organization is writing about it. Um, so programs like ours uh, around the country have very different models when it comes to um, you know, incorporating people new to recovery. We have what we like to call an open door policy where people can start their recovery journey at CSR or they can come in with 10 years. Either way is, is totally fine. Um, some other programs uh, may have a sober time requirement, and that just depends on how those programs are structured you know, some of those with um, higher time requirements, you may have to have a year of sobriety in order to join the program. Some of those programs, um, they, they tend to have, you know, maybe a housing component, uh, guaranteed scholarships upon entry of the program. You know, it's, it's kind of a higher bar to clear, so it makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense that they might have that requirement in place. Right. Um, <clears throat> ours, ours, we really, um, you know, just because of how big of, an, of a recovery community we have in Austin, it was really important to us to have that open door and really allow that flow of people to, to happen. Yeah. So tell us, well, yeah. tell us a little bit about UT Austin because it sounds like, um, you know, maybe it's a big enough campus that can support a couple of different um, uh, strata, I guess, of services or, or levels mm-hmm. of services. Yeah, so one of the reasons that we are able to have that open door policy and we are able to um, focus just on peer support in our program 
is because we have a really well-developed counseling and mental health center that complements the non-clinical work that we do over at the Center for Students in Recovery. Um, the, our, our partners over in the counseling center, um, they do great work like alcohol and drug counseling one-on-one. They actually um, provide a moderation class for students who are you know, they, they just maybe want to try to moderate their use for now, see if that works. And then if it isn't working out for them, if they're not able to successfully moderate, we have enough of a, of a good relationship that they're able to transition really easily over to the Center for Students in Recovery for that support with um, giving sobriety a try instead. Um, let's see. We, we also um, partner a lot with the humongous. Uh, 12-step recovery community that surrounds the campus in the city of Austin. There are over 600 meetings every single week in our town. (laughs) Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of those, yeah, a lot of those are young people. We've got a a really big um, young people in AA community. Um, and, and we also have, you know, resources like alternative peer groups and we have a recovery high school. Uh, so as soon as those, those kids start to age up, um, they transition really easily over into our group of, of folks. And, and we like to consider ourselves just another facet of the community of young people in recovery in Austin. Right. So right. Well, it's not an exclusive club. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, sorry, that's a really, you know, that's a really important um, element, right? I mean, it's not just about the college experience, but also being a member of a community and and knowing that, you know, when you're, if you, even if you're living on campus or or close to close to campus and participate, you know, you may, most of your life is based there. You're still part of a town. You're part of a state. You're part of a county, and you know, being able to sort of branch out and have that support to get other other resources around you. Mm-hmm. You know, it would th- seem to me like that would be a really important component because, you know, when you're done with college, you still need to have a support system. And it's, you know, for somebody who's in recovery, you know, being able to have something that's, you know, can help them successfully transition from that, from the college experience into a career experience or, you know, more independence, um, that must be a really mm-hmm. an important connection for people. Absolutely. It's it's very important to be able to be around people who are like you, but then it's also important to get exposure to people who are going through different life experiences. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of, of peer support in a nutshell. And so we want to make sure that they're having access to both of those experiences, as robust of an experience as possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that reason, we also encourage the active participation of our alumni, um, you know, at least the ones who stay in town and, and if they've moved on. Some of them become involved in collegiate recovery programs, you know, as alumni supporters, um, you know, wherever they are. So, for example, we've got um, one of our alums is really heavily involved with the program at UT San Antonio, mm-hmm. um, which is which is exactly, you know, what we love to hear, that they continue to give back even if they live out of Austin. Um, but yeah, we, we, we know they're not going to be here forever. The very nature of our population is, is transient. And so we want to prepare them for, you know, building a community of support around them once they're done with school as well. Right, right. Yeah. So, so much of, of recovery is about feeling like you belong and feeling that, mm-hmm. that connection, like it's okay. I'm a, like, I'm, I'm an all right person. There's no, you know, I don't have to be hiding. I don't. You know, um, I mean, there are other people who have been through what I've been through and understand what I'm going through now and that I can lean on for support. 
I mean, that's true for any of us, you know, whether we're in recovery or not. But I think when you're, when you're active in your illness, you know, you're really struggling uh, to sort of um, you know, move beyond it, you might tend to feel more isolated. So that, that community component Absolutely. is really, really critical. <clears throat> there's the there's the community component for the the support, and then on top of that, uh, this is something that I experienced personally when I was a student joining this community and and searching for help, um, and that I hear this a lot from from other students who join our program as you know as brand new beginners in recovery, and that's that um, they thought that something I thought that something really must have been wrong with me if at age 25, which is how old I was, um, or age 19, like some of our students are when they join us, that mm-hmm. I'm already at a point where I need help with my drinking problem, that I'm, yeah. I must be so broken, how could I possibly be fixed? And then when you walk into a room where other people your age have, you know, been through exactly, had that same exact thought process, um, and then did get better, and are still better and are are just living this life that they never could have imagined and are happier than they ever thought possible, that message of hope is so, so important. And, and it really can only come from, you know, if you are a young person and, and that's really, you know, a major barrier for you in your mind, mm-hmm. seeing that example, seeing that, that lived experience is just so, so critical. Yeah. And, and, you know, that connection to people that are close to your own age group is so important, particularly important for people that age group, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, um, you know, I've, I've, you know, had met with countless numbers of people who, you know, in their early 20s, they just, they couldn't connect to, you know, a self-help community or, or other supports that they felt like people of their parents' age were the ones running it. And um, so that's a really important point. So um, we are, uh, again, really excited that you're on the show. We've got a lot more to talk about. And uh, we're going to come back after a two-minute break and a little bit of uh, uh, information from our sponsors of the show. And we'll be back in about two minutes here with Sierra to talk a little bit more about bringing recovery to campus. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. 
The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host today. And, you know, if you are somebody or know somebody who has had their college career interrupted because of a substance use problem or are, have uh, been looking at colleges but are sort of afraid to commit because you're not sure what kind of supports there are for recovery, then this episode is definitely for you. We are really uh, honored, and we've got uh, a great guest today, Sierra Castedo, who is with the Center for Students in Recovery at University of Texas, Austin. And just before our break, we were talking about the importance of, um, you know, social networks for people who are, for young people in recovery in particular. And, you know, I had made a comment about how uh, a lot of times young people really need to have folks that are close to their age to relate to um, and maybe that's because they're not, you know, they haven't quite figured out the process of uh, understanding and appreciating the experience of older people and the value of that for themselves. But um, you know, there's uh, it's a really important element for for recovery in particular. And uh, so, Sierra, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think I think that can be part of it. You know, not not necessarily understanding the value of older folks. Um, I I know it's a pretty common experience among our students to not um, uh, to listen for differences instead of for commonalities initially, and that and that pretty quickly changes as as recovery kind of starts to click for them. But I actually wanted to uh, touch on two really important studies that I think really inform a lot of um, what really anybody who works with young people, whether that's adolescents or young adults, um, young people who are um, trying to sustain recovery, who are transitioning from early recovery to long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And the first I want to talk about is Stout and colleagues. It's from... Um, I'm sorry, it is from 2012, and uh, it's in the Journal of Studies on Alcohol and Drugs. And and basically, this study showed that um, it looked at social networks of people in their first three years of recovery, young adults. Okay. Um, and basically, you can have a single pro-abstinence um, person in your social network. So let's say, for example, it's your mom and your best friend. They're both... Um, super supportive of you being abstinent from alcohol and drugs. Great. Wonderful. But as soon as I go back to school and get reinvolved in that peer group that has pro-drinking individuals in it, just one pro-drinking friend is going to outweigh the influence of those pro-abstinence individuals in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, 
that is not the case. It, it stops outweighing those individuals when I have a supportive community, when I have an entire community of individuals who know me and know each other forming a community, mm-hmm. um, once that community that supports my recovery is in place, then those individual pro-drinking buddies cease to outweigh their positive influence. So that that kind of highlights the importance of community, right? It, a community provides things like accountability. It provides things like, you know, shared mutual experience around the same topic. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that, you know, just having a couple of allies, is, it's not quite enough to do, right? right? That really highlights the importance of having these programs on college campuses in the first place. And then another, <clears throat> another study that um, kind of touches on the, um, the importance of age composition that one is from Labby, L-A-B-B-E, and colleagues. Um, one of the authors on it is um, John Kelly. Um, are you familiar with John Kelly's work? No, I'm not. So he's out of um, Harvard Med School, and he does a lot of research on um, how young people, particularly adolescents, but young adults as well, um, how young people adhere to 12-step groups primarily. And then he's kind of done the impossible. He's studied a really sensitive age group in a really sensitive way. And he's studied um, them in the context of 12-step groups, which are notoriously kind of difficult to to study in any systematic way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I... I highly, highly recommend reading John Kelly's oeuvre if you ever get a chance. He's got a, he's got a lot of great research coming out of um, his, his labs and from his colleagues. But the primary author on this is Labby, um, and it is, uh, the, it's all about the age composition in 12-step groups. And, and granted, that's, you know, that's... Um, Collegiate recovery programs are not 12-step groups, but you can kind of apply some of the same wisdom to those. So it it captures that, yes, just like um, your intuition tells you, it is really important for young people to be with fellow young people in early recovery. They've got to buy in. They've got to see their peers. They've got to hear that message of hope from from their peers, right, from people who are, are the same age as them and who are like them. Right. But um, the ones, the, the young people that they followed, the ones who successfully made it out to six months, to nine months, to a year, they were um, going to more mixed age group meetings. And the the thought is here that the that the difference was that these the people who went to mixed age group meetings as they progressed in recovery, they were yep. learning more about life from people who have a greater length of sober time, greater okay. length of sober experience. So they could, you know, once they encountered situations that were maybe a little a little novel or outside of the scope of, you know, the, their fellow young people or required more maturity to interpret, they could get that advice from from other folks, right, from folks who are outside of their age group. Um, but, yeah, that, that kicks in more um, as they move into, you know, six months, nine months, a year. Right. Well, it sounds like, yeah. you know, the, uh, if you think about, the, you know, the process of, of, um, of recovery itself, uh, you know, sort of being able to get to that point of being able to appreciate the value of, of other people's perspectives and you're starting to, like, get some success with, uh, trying this new thing out called recovery or sobriety, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, 
I'm just sort of putting those two in the same sentence, but also understanding there's, there's a wide difference between sobriety and recovery. But, right. um, you know, but, you know, one starts with the other, right? So, you know, we're, you know, so it sounds like there's really some important influences that, that uh, you know, having a mixed age group can really, uh, can really have. And, um, and that's really some great research. You know, um, you make the point about, man, this is a difficult group to study. I mean, college students are, are hard mm-hmm. to study anyway because college students are, just tough kids, you know, they're, they're just changing so fast, right? And they're, they're exposed to so many new influences and, and, uh, and maybe older, you know, college students are a little bit older, maybe a little bit easier. But um, So that's, that's really great to know that the folks are doing that kind of work. So, um, you know, one of the things that I, uh, I guess uh, is really important for people to understand out there is, you know, in some ways this is a really young field, but it's also an area where people have been putting a lot of concentrated effort and uh, and programs like yours, you know, ten years ago there might have been, I don't know, ten right in the country somewhere, uh, you know, spread out around the country. Um, but this seems to be a really growing trend right now, and uh, I wonder if you want to just uh, say a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, just to give kind of a, a brief overview of the history of our field. Um, so it's definitely an emerging field, but the interesting thing is it's not really that new. The very first uh, collegiate recovery program was uh, at Brown University in 1977, followed shortly thereafter by Rutgers University in 1983. And the Rutgers program is still continuously going to this day. It's it's the oldest one out there. Um, uh, a handful of other schools came after that, um, Texas Tech in 86, uh, and Step Up at Augsburg in um, 1997. And so uh, those those were kind of the, the major players for those first couple of decades. Then uh, a second wave occurred in the very late 90s to the mid, mid-2000s, the mid-aughts. Uh, we were in that second wave. Uh, UT Austin's Center for Students in Recovery was established in 2004. And up until about 2010 or so, there were, there were 20 or so schools with programs like that, um, like, like ours. And, and yeah, it was, it was definitely a field. It was definitely established. There was a lot of research coming out of the, the different institutions that had well-established programs, uh, you know, mainly focusing on the students um, in the programs themselves. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we, we weren't getting a lot of momentum in terms of um, popping up at, at other schools until um, one of the major obstacles to any initiative happening at a college campus was relieved somewhat by the efforts of this um, this foundation called Transforming Youth Recovery, which okay. is part of the Stacey Mathewson Foundation or was funded by the Stacey Mathewson Foundation. So what Transforming Youth Recovery did, um, they uh, provided $10,000 seed grants to up to 100 different schools. And so that's where we see this gigantic blossoming of our field over the last several years um, up to this number of, of somewhere in the vicinity of 150. Um, the last count from Transforming Youth Recovery put us at 145. But mm-hmm. then uh, at the national conference this past year, or I'm sorry, back in April, but for this year, uh, the count was about 150. So somewhere in there. Right. Um, now I should mention that our national professional organization, the Association of Recovery and Higher Education, 
Mm-hmm. They put the count at more like 50, and that's because we're counting memberships there. Okay. And so a, a program that's really nascent, that's really brand new, um, they're not necessarily going to be members quite yet because that, that takes some paperwork and that takes uh, a little bit more <laughs> effort than is, is maybe necessarily possible in those early stages. Sure, yeah. It's so, a, lot, um, a, lot, a lot to get organized, right, to just kind of get up and running. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. And and when your focus is on serving students, you you take care of that first, right? And we're right. fully supportive of that at the association. So so that's understandable. Um but so you'll see a little disparity in the numbers if if anybody out there is kind of clicking around on the internet. Um but mm-hmm. that's just that's where that comes from. Right. right. Um okay, so we had this explosion in the last few years and 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 that's really mirrored by or it mirrors the national recovery movement. What what's going on in the national scene? People, you know, being really open about their recovery, being really excited about recovery. You know, things like Unite to Face Addiction last year, um, all of the advocacy that's happening. I mean, you know, it's really it's really tied up with that momentum, and and to the point where um, our association we like to call ourselves the collegiate recovery movement. You know, it's not just a field, it's, it's a movement. And it, right. and it's, um, yeah, it's something that's, that's really powerful and that really kind of, um, fits those criteria even more than it does, you know, just right. a, the growth of a field. So. Well, you know, I think the term movement really is more inspiring to young people as well because you want to be part of something that's that's going to go forward in the future. And, you know, just being part of a, quote, you know, growth or an organization is um, yeah, almost kind of corporate in a way, you know. But when you think about sort of the, the fact that I, and every generation wants to put their stamp on something, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's just natural, right? I mean, we all want to be kind of part of something bigger. And uh, you know, to to see this as something that's really not just sort of a thing, but a movement is to me that's just a qualitative difference. So, you know, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about you know the um, you know what what is happening in the movement, and um, you know maybe how how people can start to get involved or get more information uh, uh, about uh, recovery campuses or or um, uh, you know recovery support opportunities in their in their colleges. We'll be back here after a couple-minute break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. 
Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host for today's show. And we are talking with Sierra Castedo, who is involved with the Center for Students in Recovery at University of Texas, Austin. And we're talking today about the uh, collegiate recovery. Uh, another way to look at this is, you know, how to be bringing recovery to campus and uh, providing supports to people who are uh, going back to school or on college campuses and who are trying to live a life of recovery there. Uh, you know, just before the break, we were talking about how... Um, this is, you know, the concept of collegiate recovery has really started to spread and, you know, over the past 10 years has taken on some real momentum. Um, you know, but I imagine it's, 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 it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's the National Alliance for Mental Illness, right? And one of the things that you hear when you go to a, a NAMI meeting sometimes is if you've been to one NAMI group, you've been to one NAMI group. Um, and I imagine similar with collegiate recovery programs, right, because... Um, it's not like folks are all following the same model. So, so you know, Sierra, maybe you could tell our audience a little bit about what you know. What are the different models out there for collegiate recovery programs, and what makes a good one, or, or what are some of the considerations that you have to be keeping in mind, you know, uh, when you're when you're trying to figure out which campus is going to be the safest for you or the most productive in terms of your recovery, the most supportive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, there has been such a rapid growth that something that we've been trying to focus on um, in in this field in the last couple of years has really just been to um, get a get a handle on the scope of all the different models available now and and what um, what a collegiate recovery program can look like, if that makes sense. So you know we had we had a few different models in the beginning, and now we really have just about every possible way you could do it. And, and so one thing that we have agreed on, we, um, we sat down and we hashed these out at a, at a town hall a couple of years ago in our, at our national conference, and that was these four key ingredients of any collegiate recovery program. Mm-hmm. You need these four elements, um, and you can have variation around those. The first and probably the most obvious is that you need a community of students in recovery from addiction. So, duh, right? You, you need those, those students uh, in order to be able to actually serve them, right? Yeah. Uh, the second is um, a dedicated space. And, and that's something that we talk a lot about when, when we as CSR, you know, give 
presentations around campus or, or tell folks about what we do, you know, the phrase safe space comes up a lot. Um, it's, it's not just that it's a, a place where meetings happen. It's also a safe space and a retreat for yeah. students. Yeah. Um, then the third so what would that is, you know what would that look? Yeah. I mean, I imagine that would look differently in, on on every single campus. But what are some mm-hmm. of the things that make something a safe place or safe space? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um, I think the the first and foremost, it's that it's um, a place where the majority of the people are in recovery. Right? I mean, you know, maybe the staff isn't, uh, but but sometimes the staff is. I am in recovery myself, obviously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the conversation's gonna be really recovery oriented or at least recovery friendly. I can tell you, um, as a former TA, uh, how many times I overheard loud conversations about Adderall or about drinking or about any, you know, number of yeah. things that would be really triggering for somebody in early recovery to have yeah. to overhear in the library or in their classroom. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a drop-in center that is available for people to come in if they're in, you know, if they, if they are in crisis and need support or if they just want a place to study, you know, a place to study where they're not going to overhear people trying to sell each other Adderall. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. That's <laughs> um, important. I mean, and, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, it's just, I guess, uh, for the uneducated about addiction, you know, those, just those little things are, you know, they're very, um, they're hard to avoid. Mm-hmm. And and they're but they're important to avoid because um, you know the brain is is wired to pick up on those signals and saying like okay yeah that reminds us of something we did once that made us feel good and so you know uh, maybe we should tune into that a little bit more you know so yeah that, that's a really great point and it's you know I I completely understand um, there there's always the counter argument you know that that critics might might bring up, which is, oh, but isn't it important for, for these folks to be able to live out in the real world? I mean, they're going to face those temptations. They're going to hear people talk about alcohol. Well, yeah, that's true, but yeah. they don't have to face that, you know, on day three of their journey or on month two of their journey, you know? Like, we can, we yeah. can do a little bit better than that. Right. Um, and, and we can provide one place on campus, you know, one, one suite of offices where, where they are really understood. I mean, that's not too much to ask. It's really right. not. Right. So the third, the third piece, mm-hmm. and these aren't in any particular order of importance. They're just mm-hmm. how they're listed here. Uh, the third piece is recovery supportive programming. And that can, that can vary really widely between schools. And um, I'll tell you what we have, and then I'll talk about some stuff that some other folks have. <clears throat> so what we have is um, we have weekly programming. And then we have more occasional programming. So the weekly staff is, um, it's in the form of support group meetings for the most part. So we have staff facilitated support, support meetings. Um, we call that one a, a CSR group activity. We on and off will do, um, meditation as well, guided meditations led by our staff. Uh, but honestly, it really just depends on the popularity among the student org at, or the student group at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. so for this summer, we're not doing the meditation group. There's just not quite enough people around and, and that kind of thing. Um, so we, we're really reflective of the current student group. Right. Um, then there's also 12-step meetings and any other peer support, mutual aid meetings that the students want to have happen. So, you know, 12-step meetings need to be autonomous. 
the students run those meetings themselves, right? A right. staff person yep. doesn't step in and, and, you know, run an AA meeting for them. They run sure. it themselves. Yeah. Well, that would violate the um, our, traditions if it did. But, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, so our yeah. role is really just to facilitate that stuff happening. You know, we we have this space and make sure it's open and, you know, whatever help you all need, just let us know. And, and in that capacity, we just kind of act like a clubhouse. Um, but then, uh, then we have our more occasional programming. And the way that looks is um, sober social activities. Things like our sober tailgate or um, sober dance or game night. We do educational seminars periodically, guest speakers. Um, we do service opportunities. And that is, um, you know, hands down always something that's really, uh, really popular with our students. It's, it's just astounding how much service they do um, year to year. It's, it's bonkers. Um, I, we give out scholarships, and so uh, service is a component of that. So all the scholarship applications include how much service they've done, and they list it all out, and they add it all up. And, I mean, let's see, when was it? Last, last semester, there was over 800 hours of service among the 10 or so people who were getting scholarships wow. that, that semester. It was, it was crazy. That's phenomenal, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really, really, really crazy yeah. how giving yeah. these folks are. Um, but so that's usually opportunities from, you know, from uh, local high schools might have us out to speak. Uh, we, we have a mentorship program with the recovery high school down the street from us. So that's a big opportunity. Um, we may go speak at treatment centers. Um, and then the students, you know, of course, are actively engaged in their mutual aid, aid groups as well. Um, some even do additional stuff like volunteering at, at one of the hospices we have in town or, or something like that. So uh, we organize a big chunk of that and then we um, and, and provide those opportunities, but then we also encourage them to find opportunities out on their own. And um, <clears throat> Okay, uh, so that's our programming in a nutshell. Some of the stuff <laughs> okay. that um, other folks do uh, at, at other programs, there may be a, um, a class component. So they actually sign up for a seminar that um, they pay for like any other class. They get a grade for like any other class. And um, they take kind of a, uh, a recovery and addiction 101 class, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. I know Texas Tech does that. Um, I believe a, a, a few other programs do that where they get academic credit for it. And it's, it's really cool to be able to provide that, to be able to, um, to kind of provide an additional sense of validity. Like you're, it's not, it's not like it's, it's really, really validating to already know that you're wanted on campus to the point where, you know, the university set aside space for you and staff mm-hmm. for you and, has this program that's so validating and awesome. Yeah. But then to also be able to get college credit for that, I mean, that's really, really cool. So, yeah. so that I think excellent. that's... Well, yeah, really validating, that's awesome right? It's, it's it. like, okay, this, this is an important life experience. And, you know, um, I mean, for myself, you know, I mean, the four years that I spent in college, I left college and didn't know anything more about life. And, yeah. you know, and... and <laughs> Well, maybe a little bit more, but, you know, none of it was probably useful. But, um, you know, it, it's really important to, to, to honor the, the lived experience that people have, and, you know, because these kinds of, uh, you know, because recovery, the experience of recovery is really, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a life experience that 
um, is like no other, and you, mm-hmm. you can't learn it. You can't learn it in school. Yeah. So it's great that you get, yeah. can get credit for it in school. So it's what pretty, was the fourth cool. thing in terms of the fourth element of a, of a collegiate recovery program? And the fourth element is staff. Uh, and and there's a there's a good reason for that. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about different models in a second, and that's going to come into play. Um, yeah. But but the the main reason we've already touched on it's a transient population, yeah. and so ask, you know expecting a group of students who graduate and move away to to somehow you know still be able to to keep a program going. Um, you know it, it's hard to find you know, leaders to step up and fill those leadership shoes year to year or even semester to semester. So mm-hmm. staff are really crucial to to carry over that or carry the, the program through that transition. So that's right. kind of, you know, the primary the primary purpose. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the other part is really just ensuring that there's quality programming and, you know, taking care of the really complicated and sometimes bureaucratic stuff that, that comes into play when you're part of a, a giant institution like we are, or, you know, there's, there's a lot of complicated bureaucracy even at a smaller institution. So, you know, that's Absolutely. something that's really difficult for students to navigate. Um, and so in order to have an effective program that's going to be sustainable, you really got to have somebody who's um, manning the helm and, and being an anchor, Yep, and advocating and dri- driving the mission. Um, when we exactly. come back after the next break, we'll talk a little bit more about that, and um, you know, we can give some pe- people some information or or resources to get some more information ab- about how maybe they can start something on their college campus, or uh, how uh, you know how they can be supportive to, to another college support program. So, we'll be back right now after a couple minutes. Thanks. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Jonathan Ruth, you're your guest host, and we're with Sierra Castedo, who is with the Centers for Students in Recovery at University of Texas, Austin. So, um, Sierra, tell us a little bit more about what some of the different models are of uh, recovery programs on campus. So, there's... um there's a few different ways to think about this. Um, what makes the most sense for, for me, the way I like to conceptualize it, is to think of it as clinical, housing-based, peer, and then a student org. So our program is peer-based, and um, we actually have um, several sister schools in the University of Texas system, uh, seven additional schools, and they're all um, part of this, this effort to expand throughout the University of Texas system. Um, most of them are also on this peer-based model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one that we've seen a lot of those newer 150 or so schools um, uh, embrace. Another model, the clinical one, is when you incorporate clinical services. So there's counseling. Um, there, may, there may be, um, you know, uh, some research happening as well. It, it definitely has more of a, of a clinical vibe. And, and we, on the other hand, are not, right? We're peer and non-clinical. Right. Um, and then there's a housing-based model. So um, Rutgers is is really kind of the um, the first example of that. I mentioned they started out in 1983, um, and and there's several other institutions that have um, also adopted a similar model. They've got a um, a house just off campus where the students who are in recovery live. The the meetings happen there. The fellowship happens there. Um, and the support also happens there. And so it's really centered around where the students live and conduct their daily lives off, you know, in their, in their residence off campus. Right. Um, there's, uh, there's then the student org approach. And the, the student org approach is definitely the, the quickest and easiest to get off the ground right away. Right. Okay. Um, if you think about it that way, uh, you, you know, it's just like starting a chess club or, um, you know, an intramural team or something where, you know, you just need to get some folks who are willing to put their name down on the roster and, and then you've got club status with the university and you can do things like reserve rooms. And so that's a great way to get something going, right? Just getting mm-hmm. that, that student org status reserving a room and maybe starting a 12-step meeting once a week. You know, that's a great start. But the drawback there is you're missing one of those, uh, you're missing a couple, really, of those key ingredients of a collegiate recovery program, primarily being staff. Um, That's difficult to keep going year to year. Um, You know, George Washington University has had been kind of on that model, and and we're doing an excellent job of it. Um, But it's it's you know it's really difficult to sustain when it's totally dependent on students um, running the ship. Right. Um, well, we kind of like yeah. you said in the last segment, you need you need somebody there to kind of be the institutional representative to keep things keep things going and and keep exactly. the, uh, yeah the memory of things exactly. and, and the spirit of things. 
So no, no one of those models is definitely going to work better than any other. You really just need to be responsive to what's going on on your campus. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we've got a huge counseling and mental health center. We don't want to replicate services, so it makes complete sense for us to be non-clinical and peer-based. So we're capturing a different set of students. We're capturing right. the clinical-averse students <laughs> um, first and foremost. You know, that's a major, um, a major part of our of our um, appeal to some students. Um, And and I know we're almost out of time, so I'm just going to barrel on ahead and and move on to um, some highlights um, of uh, demographics of students in collegiate recovery programs across the country. And this is all pulled from this wonderful study uh, by Alexandra Laude and colleagues. Um, First publication was 2015 in the Journal of Substance Abuse Treatment. I definitely recommend trying to look that up. Um, And then there's been a subsequent study published in 2016. Uh, It was a big national survey done in 20. 13 of over 400 students, so they're going to be publishing on this stuff for a while, almost certainly. Right. So, but some highlights from that big study, um, the mean age of um, students in these programs is actually 26, so that's pretty far outside the, the 18 to 22-year-old traditional student age mm-hmm. group that, we, that right. we tend to associate with college. Um, uh, 50%, fully 50% of the students are over 23. And about a quarter were 28 or older. So, um, you know, definitely That's still a pretty older. good percentage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the one that was really shocking, um, I guess, I guess not not surprising, but still shocking, um, was that a full third of these students have experienced homelessness as wow. a result of their their addiction. Wow. Fully a third. I mean. Think about the the average college student. That's that's something that's just unfathomable to most college students, and and that's what you know a, a huge percent of of our students are dealing with. Right. Um, the average GPA is slightly above the national average. Um, average GPA in CRPs is three point two two. It's a little lower, something like three point one or three point zero for college students um, around the country. Mm-hmm. And then the average length of sober time is almost three years. Uh, it's two point seven years, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> so a lot of a lot of long term sobriety in these rooms. That's great. Uh, long term for young people, right? This is this is relative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, that, that's true, and I think you make a great point that it's you know we're not talking about. Um, you know, folks in their 30s, 40s who, you know, maybe have been at it a while, but this is, you know, folks that have been, you know, they're in their early 20s, early to mid 20s, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're finding, they're finding hope and they're finding recovery and, uh, and they're moving forward in life because they're getting yeah. the support they need. So anybody who's ever walked outside of a um, 12-step meeting or, you know, been around a, bun- a big group of people in recovery is not going to be surprised by this next demographic uh, point, and yep. that is that 40% of CRP students smoke cigarettes. Okay. Um, and that's, that's, that's a lot yeah. higher than their, um, than their uh, national counterparts who are not in these programs. That's 28.7% yeah. for them. Right, so I right. know we're almost out of time. Some yep. So you some can resources. tell us a little bit about how we can get some more information. Great. So our national yeah. organization, the Association of Recovery and Higher Education, is a great place to turn to for advice and, and starting a program. Go to our website. Just Google that term, right, A-R-H-E, 
Um, go to our website and uh, look for your regional representative. I'm the Southwestern Regional Rep. Um, there's there's representation across the whole country, and that's our job. It's to is to help you get connected and help you get the resources you need to start a program on your campus. Um, Transforming Youth Recovery, I mentioned, they're an invaluable resource. They're wonderful. And then our trade magazine is Recovery Campus Magazine. I would highly recommend getting a copy for your office if you work with college students. You can treat it like a catalog of the programs out there. That's fantastic. And that's recoverycampus.com. I've actually got a copy of it right here on my hand. Um, and, you know, so to our listeners out there, I want to, I want to first, you know, encourage you to, to really take a look at what some resources are because you never know who you might help by under, by knowing, uh, what resources are available to somebody. And, um, and Sierra, I want to thank you for coming on board today, giving us some, you know, just some great insights into, um, some really innovative, special, and, uh, more importantly, helpful, uh, programs out there for people who are on college campus. Thanks again for being on the show, and to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in again to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and I hope to see you back again next Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.